0: How are we doing, folks? You are now tuned in to episode two of Conservatin', the Conservation Workers podcast. I am your host, producer, editor, and creator, Ashton Barker. I just want to share a little mission statement about this show. This is a show for people who want to talk about nuanced issues from the backcountry, who want to talk about projects that they are proud of. Okay, who want to talk about um, public lands and biology and things that I don't know about? Things that I want to be educated about myself. I want you to also feel free to educate the listeners. However, this is also a show for people who want to come out and talk about things that they're not going to put on their resume. This isn't. This isn't going on. Your forest service application. Okay. So please feel free to share your poetry, share your stories of love, share your stories of the time when you brought a 30 pack out on the hitch. Okay. Please be yourself. So to sum it all up, I have some poetry for you a slogan, if you will bring that ass, bring your flask, and bring your hairy legged girlfriend because this ain't your grandfather's conservation podcast. You are now tuned in to Conservatin', the Conservation Workers Podcast. I think that's a tick on my balls. Okay, my guest today is somebody who, listen, folks, on this podcast, I am going to have some very admirable people, okay, salt of the earth hard workers, noble. Um, but I'm also going to have complete degenerate scumbags because we want the yin and the yang. My guest today serves that purpose as a teaching moment for your children.
1: I was like, all right, guys, I was like, I'm going to eject myself from the boat. Like, If you don't swim left, you will die.
0: No, I'm just kidding. This is a good friend of mine. His name is Jack Toriello. I met Jack 10 years ago. We were working on a conservation crew internship with SCA in the Adirondack State Park of central New York. I was 19 and he was 24. And um, yeah, we spent five months working together and That entailed a lot of good work, and it entailed a lot of debauchery and uh, ruining of lives, you know? Man, Jack is one of my favorite people. He has a beard from God, and the first time I saw that beard, I knew that I wanted to plant a bird's nest in there. So I guess it worked out that Jack became a raptor migration specialist, and that's what he's been doing for universities various universities for the last 10 years. Um, he holds a degree in um, science in leisure studies with a concentration in park and rec management from Kent State University, class of 2010. He currently lives in Montana, and he's actually out in the field most of the year doing raptor migration, tracking aviary specimen. All right, folks, without further ado... Let's talk to my good friend, Jack Toriello. Um, you're the only person that I know who has a degree with the word
1: leisure in it. So, uh, yes, that's true. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh,
1: uh-oh. yeah. Interesting story, uh, Yeah, so I went to Kent State University, uh, graduated in 2010, and while I was going to school, I did a job as a white water rafting guide, I also worked at a kids camp, um, like a sports kids camp, and I was looking into, like, making a business, or something like that, with my degree, and a lot of the degree, like, went around the fact that it's like, okay, this is how you manage a leisure institute. Right. Um, But shortly thereafter, I got into biology and was just like, okay, yeah, this is for me. I I think the big shift for me was when I went and worked for the SCA, the Student Conservation Association, and worked on the trail crew with you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... Um, I got it, like one of the big things that really resonated with me in that project was the invasive plants. Oh, okay. And so I was like really gung ho about like, let's get rid of like, let's at least try to manage these invasive plants.
0: For people who don't know uh, what invasive plants are, can you explain that and also explain why they are a problem?
1: Yes. Yes. So invasive plants are plants that are not native to the area and they tend to take over and become more competitive than the natural plants that are around. And it dilutes the plant community that is around and then you only have that particular invasive plant. So you have like more of a monoculture of plants and you're not getting all of the resources that you should from the native plant. Kudzu is
0: a good, uh, good, good example of that folks. The plant yes, that Yes, absolutely.
1: And, and that was something that was brought in from Asia to do control on, I, I believe it was more for control of, uh, like erosion.
0: What, um, what moments stood out to you in the Adirondacks? Uh, I mean, like with the invasive plant thing.
1: I can remember a day where we were all doing uh, Phragmites. Yeah, we were like cutting and bagging all this stuff. And they're, like, it just, it, it showed me how, almost like a virus, how it can be so pervasive and spread so quickly if you're not careful about it. And that kind of hit home to me where I was like, Wow, it could be so easy. like something also like mustard grass. like so you just walk through it and it explodes everywhere.
0: So why do you think you felt a responsibility when that when you you know saw that?
1: When I think the big thing for me is, is like I'm, I'm a human on this planet. Um, there's only so many things I can do. But if I know and understand this specific thing, then maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I can educate people. Maybe I can take a step forward in like understanding that these things <laughs> destroy ecologies all around the world. And I mean, it's not just the thing in the Adirondacks. It happens everywhere. People like to put something in their yard that they think looks nice. And then that can become an invasive plant. And it could completely eradicate all of the native plants around. And I just wanted to get into, like, okay, this is how you educate people about that.
0: Hi, folks. I'm going to do my generic public radio voice now. We asked Jack to stop boring the fuck out of us with biology and ask him to tell us about times when he was balls deep in the woods. Here's his response.
1: So while i was in the adirondacks one of my worst trips was we had to build this bridge from scratch across like a pretty good span and you know and it, we had like 5 days to do it mm-hmm. we got it done but in the meanwhile we were on like a four person crew and in the meanwhile one of the crew members got sick and had to go home
0: would that so be meredith like, was that Meredith? Yeah, I, I'm not going to say. Okay, we'll take that as a yes. Jack proceeds to tell us about the time when one person had to leave the crew. In a team dynamic, when you're in the backcountry, one person leaving the crew can have serious repercussions. And of course, it's nobody's fault. Some of these things can't be controlled. But this is how it works out.
1: But <laughs> there, were, there was someone who got sick All right. and had to go home. <laughs> and so the next, like, the you know, extraction day quote-unquote, we all had to leave, I was just like, all right, I'm doing this. And I fucking, in my backpack, I put, like, a grip hoist, which you know those oh, are not. Oh, shit, light. Yeah. I put a grip hoist and, like, two chainsaws and, like, a rock bar in my backpack and then use a wheelbarrow to, like, hike out most of the other stuff and just started trudging, and it was, like, a 12-mile hike from from where this was um it was in the southern part of the adirondacks i can't remember the exact like creek but it was just like some random place a 12 mile hike
0: with like 70 pounds on your back or more yeah holy oh totally
1: and so i went the whole way just doing it and like about halfway through i ran out of water and i was like this sucks uh-huh. So I just kept going and going and going. And I finally like got to the car after hours and hours. And I was just like, I just remember laying in the car and just being like, I'm dead. Like somebody please come save me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, can, I cannot do this anymore. And then like three hours later, the rest of my coworkers show up with like a shovel in hand. Like, hey, <laughs> and I was like. Wow, I was like, I guess I took too much. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like hell bent that morning. I was like, I'm gonna get out of there and we're gonna make sure that we get out of here and we don't have to do two trips. Yeah. Cause there was no way I was walking twelve miles and then coming back and getting more stuff and going back again.
0: So wait a second, so you, guys, you guys you guys were, could. You guys were twelve miles into the backcountry and hiking? Like I yeah. didn't I was never on walking.
1: No, it was was probably the gnarliest um, Adirondack trip I'd been on.
0: That's crazy. And it was the
1: first time ever, too. It's like, so when I started in the Adirondacks, like, I didn't know much about bears. Like, I knew a little bit from being in West Virginia. But it was, like, the night before that, it was, like, I'm pretty sure there was a bear at our camp. And, like, that woke me up, like, really early in the morning. And then that's why I decided I was, like, okay, I'm already up. I was, like, I'm just taking all the stuff. And I'm going to start going.
0: September 30th, 2010. It's been raining all day. My pants are soaked. My boots are soaked. One of my boots has a hole in the toe. So my socks are soaked. The mud has gotten on the inside of my pants. So when I walk, I can feel the grains from the dirt chafing against my legs. We're at St. Regis again. We're taking apart and building a new lean-to. We dug up the site for the new one. Today it became so muddy and beat up that we had a real bitch of a time setting these boulders in the ground. And we set up the base of the lean-to. So muddy. At the end of the day, when I was taking the tools back to camp, I felt really uncomfortable, on account of my pants and boots. And for a minute, I was dwelling on this. Then I told myself, now wait a minute, man. You love this shit. You're here because you love this. Who are you fooling? This makes you happy. You want to be soaked. And that helped a lot. You, you grew up in the city, so what influence did you know working uh, a job like that have on your interests?
1: Well, I'd always been interested in the outdoors. Um, Growing up, my mother always took me down to the creek, and we would be flipping over rocks looking for crayfish and, you know, just enjoying stuff like that. But I think more of it was like a sense of excitement. Like, there was something that the outdoors could give me that the city or the suburbs that I lived in could never give me. I do think it was more of the sense of adventure. This is something that's outside of my realm, and that's what kept me pushing on for many years, honestly, until I found the biology work that I really like to do now. Um, trail work and the beginning of my bird conservation work was more about the sense of adventure. And the rafting definitely goes into that. That's kind of where I got it from, where it's just like, okay, yeah, I'll do this. like why not me and me and my buddy who were roommates in college were like, Hey, why don't we go rafting this spring? Then we looked at the website and then saw that they were hiring. And I was like, well, why just go rafting when we can get hired to do it? And so that's kind of where it started.
0: So Jack is quite the wild man. I touched on that a little bit in the intro. And uh, when we wrapped up our conversation last night, he wanted to um make sure that he could listen to the finished product uh in order to potentially filter out anything that he didn't want to um any information he didn't want to be out there so with that in mind i'm going to play you the most incriminating story he told me last night
1: all right so this goes back to 2007 i was a rafting guide in west virginia um Mm -hmm. I'd been rafting as a guide for a couple of months, and I had my best, my two best friends, come down and visit me. And I was like, "Hey, man, take you guys on a little private trip, you know?" We bought a thirty rack of beers for a guy who then rented out his boat for us. Like, okay, that seems like a good deal. He rented a boat
0: (laughs) for for a thirty rack.
1: Yes. <laughs> we bought that for the guy and then we got his boat and we stuffed it into the back of my friend's truck and meanwhile we got this other girl's car this other girl who would later become jack's fiance and uh yeah this is gonna be our transport for the day. so we're going down these like west virginia back roads to get to the pudding we're, but we were afraid the boat was going to blow out of the back of the truck. So we took one of my friends and just, like, he just sprawled out on top of the boat in the back. And <laughs> he was just like, all right, I'm going to hold it down. And we're ripping around these turns, you know. We might lose Danny, you know. <laughs> like We get to the put-in, and I already realized these guys are maybe a little too uh, inebriated to... Like even blow the boat up.
0: You mentioned yesterday that uh, you shouldn't get in the water past a certain time, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, I would say no later than one o'clock in the afternoon if you really want to make it out.
0: So like, what time was it when you good. got to the when you got to the river?
1: at four p.m. So we're going down the river and everything's fine. Like we're doing a great job. You know, we get, we get. obviously we got the boat blown up, we're going down, you know, and I'm showing these guys, like, how to guide these rapids. And it starts getting a little late, though, into, like, the last three rapids. And I was letting these guys guide the easier rapids before that, and I was like, hey, guys, <laughs> I'm going to take over. Like, you know, I, I know these rapids well, the light's getting dim. Let's, you know, let's switch it up a bit.
0: Let's let's quit horsing around, guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we get into the last rapid, and I'm like, and it's it's like a big wave train. So, like, if people don't know what that is, it's just, like, where all the water accumulates in the middle of the river, and you see those big up and downs, like, you know, classic, just, like, crashing through the water kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take over. On the right side of the river, there's a large undercut rock. And that is very dangerous because if you were to be over on that side of the river at that particular point, like you can get stuck under an undercut rock and the water can keep pushing you against it. And you can potentially lose your life. I decided it was a great idea to be like, all right. <laughs> but also like a fun thing while going over that wave train is like, if you're in the back of the boat, it snaps you up really hard, so like you can like almost do like a backflip out of the boat.
0: Holy shit!
1: I was like, all right, guys. I was like, I'm going to eject myself from the boat. Like, if you don't swim left, you will die. <laughs> And then I ejected myself out of the boat, and um, <laughs> I slammed left and went to the beach. And the boat that my two buddies were in just kept cruising on by, and so they they missed the takeout. So wait, did
0: know? they? I mean, like when you jumped out, did, did was there some deliberation process? Did they say, okay, well, I'm gonna grab the I'm gonna grab the wheel now, or were they just like, what? And then you just jumped out.
1: Yeah, more of the latter. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I scramble over to the beach, and I'm like, oh, you know, SOB, man. Like, this is not good. So I run over and jump into the car that we had brought down to the takeout, and I pull it, like, right up to the beach. I turn the headlights on, I start honking it, and I'm like... Maybe they'll just like pull out to the left over here somewhere, like after they lost me and they'll just like, you know, we can drag the boat back up the the shore. That wasn't happening. So then I passed out in the car. And so that was that was pretty unfortunate. But these guys keep going down the river, and if you were to continue to go down the river, like, another, like, two or three miles, you would hit a dam. And if anybody knows anything about how dams work, it's like, so the water comes from underneath and shoots out of the bottom of the dam. If you were to hit a dam with a raft, it's going to put it sideways against the dam, flip it over, and suck you under. Oh i was very concerned about that so then i passed out in the car i work i wake up in the car and i'm like then it really (laughs) hits me i'm like fuck man like it's been two hours like i just fell asleep for two hours in his car like those guys are definitely dead (laughs) all right i gotta drive back out of the canyon drive over a bridge and then drive back down into the canyon to maybe see if they're over there but before doing that of course i had to stop and get some cigarettes i'm filling up my car and a state trooper rolls in next to me hey your name's jack yeah that's me he's like did you lose your friends on the river tonight (laughs) he's like they're back at your tent they're okay go home actually that's where i met my fiance. It was it was her car actually that I fell asleep in. Yeah, I mean, she was not happy with
0: me. You went to the Adirondacks. Um, What uh, what do you think? uh, Some of your biggest takeaways from being on a trail crew? Where had you done work like that up to that point? Had you? uh, I mean, like as far as like the relationships go, and uh, the work you were doing. Like you talked about the invasive species removal and how that affected you and you saw this as a responsibility. Um, Yeah, so what were some of the biggest takeaways for you?
1: I would say that work-wise, I had never worked that hard in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to that, I had done jobs working, like freelance landscaping for people. And, you know, so I knew how to work hard, but that didn't necessarily prepare me for what I was getting into. I didn't realize I was going to be hiking around with a chainsaw. I didn't realize that I was going to have to pull a boulder out of the ground and move it 50 feet and that that would take me all day. But I think as far as the relationships go, that was one thing that I really, really, really take away as one of the best experiences Although not all of those people I keep in contact with all the time, but there was a moment in place where we were all doing the same thing.
0: It was a weird cult, and, yeah, it was like, um, you know, it'll never be like that again. I'm sure even in trail yeah. crews, I'm sure it'll never be like that again because, you know, back then it was 2010. People had smartphones, but they didn't really have smartphones. Like the phone that I brought to the Adirondacks – Was off the whole time. I just I didn't. I canceled my like when I went to do shit like that back then. I was like, okay, I'm gonna cancel my phone plan. Yeah. So we had this house phone. Um, it was all of us in this house. There was no Wi-Fi. We didn't have fucking Wi-Fi. Did we have Wi-Fi? I don't think we did. No. No, we didn't have Wi-Fi. It was like it's so interesting. (coughs) No, it
1: was in the cassette tapes.
0: Okay, so we're out here in the middle of. In the middle, you know, we got this beautiful lake right there. No internet, no smartphones. We're, what we did was we came up with games like that game. What was that game called? Where we would write a line in a story and then you hide the you hide the third line and you you only see the you only see the first oh, line. Oh, right. So like you come up with games yeah, like and that. Yeah, you just
1: keep passing it around.
0: Yeah, and we had fucking inside jokes um, that would last for years inside jokes that yeah, lasted absolutely. the whole yeah. time. The apples. And every yeah, exactly, and everybody would crack up. And <laughs> like that was all we had. We had music of course, we had iPods, but like I I don't remember that many times when I saw somebody on their laptop or you know, it was like <clears throat> it was a totally I mean I read Never. I read so many books that summer.
1: I don't even think I brought mine.
0: Yeah. So, I like, I
1: wanted the point, but I don't even think I brought it there.
0: Right. Like, it just wasn't necessary. And so that's what I mean. Like, now it's got to be a totally different thing in the trail crew world. Like, the guy that, you know, the guy that I interviewed in the first episode was talking about how he brought his Nintendo Switch out on a trail crew.
1: Right. Right. You know? like, <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's wild.
0: Yeah. Right. Like, I, I mean, yeah, it was just, it was such a beautiful time because, yes, it's just these people. Um, some of them, you know. Granted,
1: like one of the nice things that we had was like we had such a large crew. Like, yes, it started with twenty and probably ended with fifteen because we had some dropouts. Yeah, yeah. But those fifteen people, like, we were always like mixing and going back and forth, and like, <sighs> and then being together on the weekends and stuff. Like, we had a yeah, a really, having like, our having our community of people, and like t- to be that community to be that large. Yeah is an exemption for me because I've been in these communities, but... It's like five people. Often, it's, it's like four people, three people, four... Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's not, it's not the way that we had it where it was like, okay, there's 15 of us.
0: Okay, yeah, so let's get more into um, your mission. So you went to Laysan. Was this, this was after the Adirondacks?
1: Correct. Yeah, this so, was about a year after the Adirondacks.
0: Okay, so... You had been back home and you were working that like metro trail crew job and. Yeah,
1: garbage. I miss, yeah, I miss the adventure. I miss the freedom. Um, but more so, I, I miss like doing something that was positive. So, right. when I was working at the trail crew in the metro parks, I was like, my boss didn't want to do anything besides like take as long as he possibly could to do any job and then is smoke cigarettes.
0: So you were doing this for a while, and um, I mean, were you, was there like a moment there when you were like, fuck, I'm just going to be stuck here in Cleveland? Like, did did you ever get, um, did you ever feel trapped or, I mean, like?
1: Youngstown, to be specific. Youngstown, okay, yeah. Yes, and yes, there was that. There was that moment where I was like, this is it. Like, okay, so I have trail work experience. And I'm working on a trail crew, and, like, is this where I'm going to be stuck?
0: That's super uh, depressing. Of course I
1: had. I, I definitely had that moment. Yeah. Um, and that's why I decided to just, like, start branching out and do Like, okay, if you'll take me, I'm, I'm, an, I'm open. You know, I'm a fucking free agent, baby. Like, <laughs> give me something. Yeah. One day I woke up early in the morning. At like four o'clock in the morning, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start applying. I was like, I got a couple hours before I actually have to go to work, I'm gonna start applying to jobs. And that's how I got the job in Hawaii. That was the most transitive, pretty sure he's drunk and he means transformative moment in my entire life.
0: Where in Hawaii were you
1: again? Um, so I was located on Laysan Island. Uh-huh. which is about halfway between the main Hawaii islands and Midway. So after the Adirondacks, um, so it was the invasive plant thing that got me into a job with the U.S. and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And it was a volunteer position where I was able to work on this very remote island in Hawaii. And our main job was to propagate native plants and eradicate invasive plants. We were like repopulating the native plants that should be there. So we were taking plants from the main islands of Hawaii, putting them in shade houses, growing them and then taking them out and transplanting them in the field. It's an awesome like wildlife sanctuary. And it's just like wow, this is intense. Like but also doing that job, I was thrusted into a situation where it was me and five other people, six months. You know?
0: I mean, how far away from civilization are you? How are they getting food to you?
1: We brought it all out with us. In five-gallon buckets. And, dude, we had some interesting things where it's like, all right, so we were supposed to have... So we have all this, like, reserve water that we just, like, kept under the tarp and stuff. Yeah. Like, we have this big, like, um, pose and bucket situation that you put into the water out on the beach. And it would take salt water in. And it's called a reverse osmosis. And then it would turn that salt water into fresh water. And then we'd have, like, kind of, like, running water. That died two months in. So we were living on our reserve water.
0: Oh, my God. And how much and reserve so water did like, you have? What's that? How much reserve water did you have?
1: Um, I don't know the exact number, but, I mean, we were definitely being conservative with it. I mean, we just had a bunch of, like, reserve water, like, 10-gallon, like, containers of it.
0: So you hiked all of this in?
1: Yeah, I mean, we hiked it in off the boat that dropped us off.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Wow. And, uh, I mean, like, what does conserving water in a situation like that look like? Like, how many liters a day or, you know, how many cups a day do you think you're getting?
1: Um, You're only using water for personal consumption and to cook things with
0: so no bathing. Everything
1: like, there's no showering. There's no, like, if you gotta wash dishes, you take them down to the ocean and wash them.
0: So there's no, there's like, no stream. There's no stream t- where you can use a water filter. Oh no, there
1: weren't even any trees, man.
0: Oh fuck, this is like a desert island. Yeah. Okay.
1: So the island in the middle. So the island was a mile by a mile and a half.
0: Dude, that's insane. In the thi- wait, why are you? fucking the island,
1: there was a hyper saline lake. Okay. So like you obviously can't do anything. Like, I mean, the, the saline levels in the lake are absurd. I mean, it's basically like Salt Lake. So wait, you know how I mean?
0: how are you how are you getting information out to you You had a sat phone, right? Wow. So they couldn't bring you guys any water with another boat? Like they couldn't re up your Nope. your Nope. Damn. That, okay, so that is, that's some real shit right there. You're you're on a desert island, oh, yeah. a mile by a mile, five Oh, dude, five like, people. if you
1: were to get, like, if one of us were to get, like, an infection or, like, something bad happened to us, like, you know, like, an artery, you know, cut or something like that, you're going to die. Whoa. Because, like, it, it would, it takes four days to get a boat there. So it was just like, yeah, all right, we're, like, hyper-conscious about that kind of stuff. But then, of course, like, I was just going out and, like, snorkeling by myself because no one would want to go with me. Did
0: you see any cool shit? Cue up Jack's shark story.
1: And I went into an area I had not snorkeled in before. I'm I'm snorkeling around, like, you know, working my way through the reefs and stuff, and all of a sudden, these two fucking big-ass sharks come behind me. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I later identified them as Galapagos sharks.
0: Okay. And You're snorkeling around like and you turn started, around and you you start sharks. They following
1: me, dude. They were coming at me and I went past them and I was like, maybe I'll just pass. as like something they don't want to mess with. You know what I mean?
0: How far and away from you? They turn
1: turned around. Oh, yeah. um, 10 feet.
0: Oh my God.
1: And they turned around and started following me. And then I was like, all right, man. I was like, I got to like, I got to get up to the beach. I got to get out of here. Like, cause like they immediately started following me.
0: So you were terrified. I was like, oh shit.
1: Yeah. I was oh fuck yeah, dude. I was by myself.
0: Were you like, swimming so like really fast deep. or were you trying to maintain? Like.
1: I was just maintaining. I was just kind of, you know, doing my thing. But then when I saw that they turned around and started following me, I said, I picked it up a little bit, you know? Yeah. And then like. I started like turning up towards the beach.
0: How big are these and sharks? And I still
1: had like, uh, probably like seven feet long. Okay,
0: pretty good size.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean they're they're pretty big, and these weren't the ones like, <clears throat> like normally like we had a bunch of like black tip reef sharks and sh- and shit like that. It's like those aren't dangerous. Uh huh. But these were actually like dangerous sharks, and I was like, holy shit, they're following me. And so, like, I turned up and went up to the beach, and, like, I was probably, I don't know, 15 feet, 20 feet from the beach, and they just, like, made a push at me.
2: Whoa. And so I just
1: made a push fucking out of there, and I just, like, got up to where I was, like, I could stand, and I just fucking ran out of there. And, look, and then I'm in my flip-flops, you know, I'm in my – oh, you know? I'm in my fins, so I'm like, plop, 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 plop. I, oh, like, my God. Turn around, and then I just see their two fins just go back away from me, and I was like, that was oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Dude, okay, so did you did you snorkel after that?
1: Oh, yeah, every day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, all right, man, tell me what it's like being out there in the middle of, what would you say, one by one miles?
1: I I actually found myself. That's beautiful. I, I realized that I can be alone and be okay. Before that, I was, I mean, when you met me before, I was such a so- social butterfly that like being alone scared me. Um, but being in that situation and I mean, thrust it into it where there was no other choice where it was like, I spent a lot of time alone, and I learned to meditate. I learned to just be within myself and be okay, and that was something I never had in my life before. Damn, that's what a
0: place to do that. What a place to learn that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I mean, I, I was basically thrown into it. It was like you have to learn this.
0: <laughs> like straight up, dude, right? desert fucking island. I mean, how many people? I don't know anybody besides you. I didn't even realize that's what you were doing there. Yeah desert island so i mean like how primitive was it
1: um i don't know we really didn't have much we had a we had what we call lua that was a shitter
0: okay so it's like a privy toilet
1: yeah i mean yeah it's basically like a giant privy but we had a large storm in the beginning of january that year that collapsed one of the sides of the privy, so we had to build in a new one mm-hmm. but in building a new one we had to like we didn't have the wood to build a new one and then there was no more box that went over your head you just shat in the openness and it was honestly some of the greatest <laughs> experience the best shit i've ever had in my life
0: oh dude i bet. never
1: forget i was sitting there on that new lua that we had just built and I had my binoculars with me because I'm a nerd. Uh-huh. And they were just, like, you know, just off the shore, there were a bunch of, like, humpback whales just, like, going by.
0: Whoa.
1: And I was able to just, like, take a dump and watch some humpback whales. I was like, that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so let's talk about your... Um... Your current position is a raptor migration specialist, right? That's the title, raptor migration specialist.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, if that's what you want to call it, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to butcher it, then so, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I don't. I, I've never like discussed an official title, but um, I do raptor research.
0: So, okay, let me just start off with. Um, I, I checked out mm-hmm. your resume, and you said you you, you gave your uh, your. Where is it <clears throat> objective gain experience and knowledge in conservation, natural resource management, biological sciences and ecological sciences and settings that will allow me to extend my understanding of conservation issues pertinent to today's society. And this is the overall objective of your resume, which I thought was cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, what is that? How does, uh, what, what effects of climate change do you see at your job? And what are the pertinent conservation issues of today's society? That's a good question.
1: Um, So one of the jobs Mm -hmm. that I've been working over the past couple of years, which I would say is my most intensive field job, is to do research on a species called the black swift. Okay. And so they nest behind waterfalls in high alpine areas. that are generally, like the waterfalls are generally fed from... Permanent snowfields or glaciers. And as those permanent snowfields and glaciers go away, the colonies are starting to go away. Okay. Canada has already been proactive on naming them an endangered species, but here in the United States, we've not done that yet. Um, so uh, the majority of the information is coming out of Colorado. And okay. They don't necessarily have the same... Things going on that we do here in Montana, like in Glacier National Park, where it's just like these glaciers are going away. Like, how no rapidly?
0: About it. How rapidly have you, you know seen? I mean? a, how how rapidly have you seen a change?
1: I, I've seen a change just since I started working on the project in the last four years. <clears throat> um, we've seen colonies go from five to one. We've seen colonies go from three to zero and this is um, breeding birds is so these are nests that we're talking about um, and we have not seen any of the colonies that we have gone to or revisited increase in any amount only decrease or sustain
0: taking
1: a piss piss away. <laughs> <laughs> So the job that I do when I research black swifts, yeah, is by far the most intense backcountry, remote, crazy job that I do. Can, like anything, like I mean, even more so than trail crew was.
0: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, what you're like twenty miles back there. How far are you back in the backcountry?
1: Um, it, it depends on the specific waterfall or habitat that you're going to but i mean i've been places where it's taken me three days to get to a waterfall
0: okay yeah and wh- how and big are your and that's just when you're hiking in like that's just
1: like bushwhacking through the backcountry
0: you guys using bear buckets and stuff
1: It's actually kind of nice. In Montana, we don't have habitualized bears. The main thing that we use in our camp is called a Ursac. Or an Ursac. And it's a bag that's basically made out of, like, Teflon. And you just tie it high in a tree. Like, you don't even have to, like, put it all the way up, up in a tree. You just tie it to, like, a tree at face height. And you do a specific knot in it, and it's like the bear can't undo that knot, and they also can't rip into that bag because it's basically made out of Teflon.
0: Damn. A Yersack. Huh? It's a Yersack?
1: Yeah, sack or Ursack. Depends on how you want to pronounce it.
0: Okay. Um, so when you're going out. Off... Very
1: great for in the backcountry.
0: Right. When, and when you go out on these, uh, when you go out on these hitches, uh, what uh, what kind of equipment are you bringing? What's in your rucksack?
1: My tent, my sleeping bag, all of my survey equipment, and clothes for anything between eighty degrees and thirty degrees.
0: Tell us about surveying these birds, and what the so, like you said. Um, you mentioned in your objective that you were to find out what the, the pertinent conservation issues of today's society are. So how to, I mean, like how exactly is that affecting the uh, raptor migration? Like, what are you, what are you finding in your, in your research?
1: Yeah. I mean, so when it comes to black swifts, uh, obviously, like we talked about before, it's like the, the loss of snow melt and the loss of glaciers are really a big problem. Cause they really depend on that. They d- depend on that. Perennial melt, and so that that's going away and drying up is a big problem for them. We're seeing losses pretty much across the slate. With raptors, it's a little bit different. One of our main problems is lead intake. People hunt with lead bullets, and then they leave gut piles out in the field. And eagles, especially during the late fall and during the winter, become scavengers. Especially the golden eagles. Um, golden eagles are declining over the past couple of decades um, from the raptor migration studies that we're doing. But, I mean, there is, a, there is a general decline in the population. Whereas, like, remember when we had bald eagles who were, like, at one point, there were only, like, 70-some pairs of bald eagles nesting in the lower 48 and that was because of ddt and they got rid of that now they're exploding like i i mean bald eagles i see them at the dump all the time just like scavenging you know what i mean so i mean they have done a good job at rebounding but we haven't necessarily figured out exactly what it is for golden eagles that is causing the decline, and one of the suggestions is that it's because of lead intake.
0: What regulations do you put into place for an issue like that?
1: So, some states like California has enacted a like you're not allowed to hunt with lead bullets in California. I believe.
0: What kind of bullets are they hunting and with?
1: Copper shot. Okay. So like, and that has like definitely come a long way in the last five or six years, where it's like copper shot. If you look at it like through ballistics gel, is just as good or better than lead. But a lot of people, especially in rural towns, are just like my dad always shot lead. You know, so I'm gonna keep shooting lead, and it's like, well, that's not necessarily responsible. <laughs> it's
0: tradition.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that's a conversation, yeah, that's I, I, a think, conversation I think the, that... big,
1: the big thing is that large raptors specifically eagles become scavengers when they need to and definitely do so in the winter on their wintering grounds <clears throat> and in doing so they come across a lot of hunted Carry on that still has lead inside of it, and they eat that lead.
0: How do you how do you have that conversation with rural people? That that seems to be the issue is that like government intervention <clears throat> like... more
1: of just like reach out and education. Um, because here in Montana, it's like you can't tell people what to do. This is a very rural and somewhat you know libertarian state.
0: Well, okay, so that's that's what I wanted to bring up is that rural people they don't want government intervention.
1: And the vast majority of people, once they realize, um, they will convert or at least give recognition to, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, obviously you'll have your people who are like, I don't care. You know, this is how I've always done it. But I think the vast majority of people, once they like, they're uneducated on the subject, and when they get educated on the subject, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that.
0: So do you guys do canvassing? I have no idea. Do you guys, Does the university do canvassing? Like, how do you get that information out there? Or does it go on uh, local public radio? Hi, this is your local public Montana radio station.
1: We kind of do on-the-ground stuff where we invite different, like, we invite somebody like the backcountry anglers and hunters, to come to like a place with us and show them how copper shot works and show them that there is lead poisoning and
0: you invite
1: them hopefully then what's
0: you, that you invite groups of them Yes is this like information that you put out there through advertisements through flyers what do you do how do you get them out there with you
1: Um kind of more on the ground it's like you know I mean it's not a big state so you just talk to the people who are doing the stuff and be like, Hey, like, can, can we talk? Cool. Okay. you know, can, can we show you something? Um, and often, you know, I mean, we've had some, some different organizations that are like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this.
0: All right. So let's finish this off with uh, a little bit of questions about the Adirondacks and, just some of uh, some of your favorite experiences. Uh, what did you enjoy most about just being kind of in the middle of nowhere with you know everybody kind of knowing each other's vulnerabilities, weaknesses, um, you know, stuff like that.
1: I understood very quickly that pointing out people's vulnerabilities is not to your asset the best thing to do was to look at someone and understand who they are and actually get to know them and then help them. Like, I I saw that multiple times throughout that season. And it it does no good to call someone out. (laughs) The best thing you can do is to get to know somebody. And I felt that, you know, People probably looked at me that same way, but if you can put yourself out there and you can start to learn and understand people, then not only you are making yourself better, but like you're understanding people better. And that happened to me multiple times throughout that season, including with yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. We've been kinda like buddies up until that point, up until we started working together and then it took us an extra minute to figure out how to work together. You know? Yeah,
1: and I agree and I I think that's a big thing, where it's like you can have friends, like that's fine. But
0: learning to actually work with someone is a completely different experience. Yeah, it definitely shows you um yeah, I mean, you, you learn a lot from that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I agree. Like, you and I, we
0: were buddies, but we weren't friends. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Until near the end of the season.
0: Yeah, yeah, true, true.
1: When, when we actually, like, came together and we're like, okay, these are, these are the things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, like, bonding is going to come through fire, you know? Like, friendships are made in... Uh, Difficult situations. I can't think of you know like um, three of my best friends. I've punched all three of them in the face.
1: (laughs) Likewise. So yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you the whole story, but my two best friends have punched each other in the face multiple times. Yeah, and yeah, I've been able to. Not part of that. <laughs> well, and I think but. that's
0: the that's the thing. That's what's so special about something like a trail crew. I mean, like for example, I was just uh, I was just camping in Sedona for a week, and um, it was a situation where I was I was home bumming, so I was camping illegally in this canyon, and uh, my friend and I had kind of a discrepancy because he knew more about the situation than I did, and he's kind of. He's not an airhead. He's a very smart guy, but he's just a little, um, he's a little hazy, you know. And uh, he didn't give me all the details.
1: Maybe maybe one or two more hits than he should
0: have ever take. No, he got Lyme disease, dude. He got Lyme uh, disease, and it's just fucked him up over the last like five years. He's just not. <clears throat> he he forgets a lot, and he doesn't realize how much he forgets. And um, so and I hadn't seen this dude in like four years, and uh so yeah we're in this situation where <clears throat> you know like it's intimate we're our we're the only contacts that the other person has and i didn't realize that it was a canyon behind like a kind of like a summer vacation home neighborhood so these people go hiking in this canyon all the time and like you're kind of seen if you're not careful and it was just stressful yeah. And so it pissed me off that I didn't have all those details going into it. And he, of course, <laughs> of course he, th- yeah. he thought that he gave me these details. I disagreed. Um, I mean, he gave me some of them, but I really didn't think he emphasized it as much as he could have. And so <clears throat> um, yeah, over the course of the week, we had like three or four falling outs. and uh, But yeah, at the end of it, it was like, all right, man, I'll see you in Moab. Yeah, cool, you know. Next time, yeah. no neighborhoods, just camping. Like I no mean, I mean, we all know that though. Like we all know that like
1: when you meet a person that you're going to be cool with, you know it. Right, yeah. I mean, and that, that's true on any field job regardless of what the specifications of that field job are. That's Absolutely. Something that you always understand and you almost understand immediately.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, so it's difficult I, I, when you I, I, understand immediately that you're not going to get along with, <laughs> with this person.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> but, like, in, in our situation, like, I knew that, like, pretty, I mean, after about a week, I was like, all right, Ashton's going to be my buddy.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: We're, we're going to be doing this. And then I felt bad that, like, you know, I did something that was not cool. Mm.
0: September 26th 2010. I can tell you one fucking thing. I've enjoyed my time here, but Jack is not my fucking brother. He's a fucking selfish, inconsiderate douchebag. I've made friends, and maybe I'll know some of them for a while, but I'm tired of some of them. I'm ready to leave. You know, but yeah, so yeah, it takes situations like that to really learn somebody. Um, it just makes things like uh, dip and dashing so much sweeter. You know, when you when you have these. Why don't we talk yeah, we'll... about dip and dashing a little bit? We were right next to this really cold river, and we had been filtering water all season. And these are old school. These are like old school water filters. They're heavy. They're two pounds. Oh, yeah. You got to clean Big the pumpers. shit out of Yeah, it's like a clay a clay pumpers. filter. Yeah. I mean, taxing. Taxing. Physically taxing. Taxing. You got to clean the thing after you use it, you know, um and you got to make sure not to lose certain parts or you're not going to be able to use it. And um so, yeah, we had been doing this all season and then we're right next to this freezing cold stream. We realize you know, where it's the end of a hot day and uh, we just decided we're gonna go dip our balls and our assholes in this stream, and yeah, uh, what I mean, was the better. what was kind of the <laughs> lesson that we came up with it? Because we called the stream Mountain Mama because it fed us and it cleaned us at the same time. Exactly. So we drank the water because it was freezing cold and we didn't have to filter it. We right. knew that and we, we wouldn't get we giardia. So we
1: were able to dip our bums in it. Yeah. And let it clean. Let
0: her clean us. Mountain Mama, and. Dang. And we decided I like I mean I feel bad for anybody downstream, but yeah. <laughs> there ain't downstream from there. <laughs> but we also decided like you don't you you let your mother take care of you because that's what she wants to do, but you don't abuse it by keeping your balls in her mouth too long. So you just dip and yeah. dash. Yeah, it's
1: just a dip and a dash. Dip you know, and dash. And maybe two dips. You
0: know? Yeah. Mom you know, mother can really oblige. Mother out. can oblige two dips. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, two dips max. But uh, we also had a situation on that run where it got super intimate. We found out two of our trail crew members were cheating on one of this this other girl who was friends with one of them and dating the other one.
1: Yeah.
0: And we exposed them.
1: Yes, and maybe not in the most responsible (laughs) way, but we did expose them.
0: Maybe not in the most responsible way because first we were like, we know you guys are fucking. Actually, you were the one who was like, We know you guys are fucking. Why don't you just admit it? Well, no, no.
1: Here's what, here's what happened. You want to know, I mean? you know I mean? the full story? Of course. <clears throat> um, uh, X person who was a female. Um, so the, that Just... Um, I was talking on the phone because we actually had
0: a full... Like, we went back to San... We went back to San Noni, which is a place where there's... Historic actress, Preserve. Like, <clears throat> a
1: phone, the kitchen and stuff. And we went back there. Yeah. And this is after multiple days in the field. <clears throat> and I was talking to the person who was my girlfriend at the time. All we did was talk on the phone. Or, you know, get caught up. <clears throat> And then the next morning, the female who was attached to this particular situation came in really fucking hot. And was like, you last night, I heard you on the phone. So which means she was spying on me while I was talking on the phone to my girlfriend, which is also not cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't even say a damn thing about them. And then all of a sudden she was just like, y- you're exposing that like... Me and Andrew are like doing it and blah, blah blah, and I was like, "Well, this is a this is news to me." <laughs> I was like, "I I, I suspected it, but right. I, I didn't I actually know." But now I know. <laughs>
0: Dude, okay, and, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was amazing. That, <clears throat>
1: that, that, that didn't work out well.
0: Yeah, it was funny. So, okay, as far but as far as like intimacies go, uh, I mean, what what are your thoughts on um, those uncomfortable moments on a trail crew when everybody is just like getting eaten alive by mosquitoes your balls are sweating your asshole itches uh, you know you.
1: De- find the closest body you can and um, hover up to them and, and, like, and that, that doesn't mean that that has to be a sexual thing
0: sure but it can be
1: hey, oh it definitely can be <laughs> it's preferably to be that but if it's just you and your bro then that's what you gotta do
0: yeah absolutely
1: you know and it happens yeah
0: so uh (laughs) i don't know where this is going what is your favorite uh what is your favorite shit story from the trail you know what's your favorite cat hole that you ever dug do you have a ritual this is a question that i ask every every guest
1: okay yes um, I do have a favorite moment um, so that story I was talking about earlier where we were like demolishing that building I felt like kind of dirty because I was like I'm demolishing I'm supposed to be building I'm supposed to be doing things so I just took a wander off into the woods and obviously I had to crap bad and I found a just a great spot to take a dump where I can look over all these lakes and I was like, this is what I'm protecting. This is what I'm doing. But I was also taking a dump on it at the same time, so...
0: But you were giving back to it. You were giving back to it.
1: I mean, as much as a human... Fertilizing the soil. I mean, our fertilization is not good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like... Yeah, if it was horse manure, or if it was you know something else, was like
0: sure, yeah, yeah, you
1: know, like
0: hamburgers, hamburgers,
1: Probably not good. dehydrated
0: yeah. mashed potatoes, dehydrated black beans, <laughs> yeah, whatever whiskey exactly, you yeah. could,
1: Frank's, Frank's Red Hot Sauce, yeah, Coming yeah. straight out of the asshole, like, Nutella, oh whatever,
0: you can, yeah. whatever you can, whatever uh, you can, whatever booze you can sneak out there, <clears throat> yeah, oh man, yeah. Um, Okay, so then... um... So I I felt bad about that, actually. About what?
1: I I, I remember being in that situation, and I'm being like, this is one of the best craps of my life, but what I'm putting back into the earth is actually not that positive.
0: Right. So then did you change your diet after that? Hell no. (laughs) I went home and got a fucking big-ass pizza and... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh dude, the wings at that fucking uh uh Long Lake Inn or whatever.
1: Oh yeah. Give me oh a, my give god, give me blue cheese and all the hot sauce you can.
0: So good. But hey, when
1: you're human and you spend so much time in the backcountry, like yeah, you deserve a you deserve a hot wing and a pizza.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean yeah, I always I, try to indulge some like really shitty behavior after I come back from nature. Like I'm not gonna come oh, back and be like, Oh god, I'm so I'm bummed I'm back now. in civilization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm yeah, like I'm enlightened now. No, dude, I'm gonna come back and get some Whataburger, for sure.
1: Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I'm 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 maybe that makes me a bad person. I don't know. It does, really it fun. does, but it's okay. You're yeah, not You're not the only one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't, like, I care enough to kind of care, but enough that I don't care enough to also be like,
0: well, that's fine, that's just the way I live my life. Can you think of any, like, kind of tribal mutinies that ever took place when you were kind of out in the backcountry with other people where, or maybe like a wolf pack type of situation where you're all just kind of shunning somebody or or somebody's done something fucked up to just screw the whole team over?
1: You know what? Honestly, I can't. That's great. Um, no, I, that's I feel awesome. Like, I feel like most of the times when I was out there, whether or not I was the captain, I acted like I was the captain. Sure. And I will not allow this kind of... That kind of shit doesn't happen on my ship.
0: And we're talking about, like, Montana, New York, anywhere. Anywhere. That's great. That's a great mentality to have.
1: Like, I don't... Like, if someone has a problem, obviously speak up. Like, we're going to address that. But uh, there have been very few times that I've had problems, and I've... Met so many people and talked to so many people who have had so many problems on their field jobs, regardless of their, you know, being working with foresters or working on trail crews or working on biological crews. Like, I really haven't come across that many problems where it's like, yeah, every once in a while you do, but I mean, you figure them out. You just, you say, hey, what's the problem? You talk to each other about it. (laughs) It's not that freaking hard. Sure. You know, like, some people want to just, like, hide their problems and, like... I mean, they want to, like... It's not that they want to, but it's just, like, manifestation of, like, not talking about something. Right. And so when you can just put it out there right away and be like what's going on, how do, like, are, are you happy? Are you unhappy? That's the greatest question in the world. And a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, I am or I'm not. But, like, just hear them. Talk to them. Be, be with them in their moment. Because everyone's going through something different. That's the one thing I learned about being on trail crews. Every person on your crew is going through something different. You're not the only one. Be I, respectful of that.
0: I think that um, <clears throat> I think that's a great quote to close out on. Honestly. Take it. I want to thank my special guest and special friend, Jack Toriello. Um, So before I close out, I wanted to share a story that we forgot to mention in this episode. Jack and I were on a hitch in Santinoni, and we were working at uh, this historic preserve that we had been to many times that season. And so that means that we're in town, or we're near a town, and uh, I believe it was... Hudson Hudson River, New York. Something like that. So we go to this bar. Meet a couple of people. And uh, they invite us back for some beer pong. Whatever. We have to work the next day. Early. So we go to their house. We play a couple rounds of beer pong. And then they're like, hey, you want us to drive you back? And uh, Jack's like, nah, we'll walk. And I look at him like, will we? And... He's like, yeah, it's like a mile and a half, no big deal. So we start walking, you know, and uh, we figure it's going to be a short, short little hike back to the cabin, and about an hour later, we realize that's not the case. Um, we ended up walking uh, six miles back to the cabin that night. It took us, I don't know, two or three hours to get back, but it was, it was a fun little walk. We, we made the best of it. I mean, we're in the middle of the woods, no one's picking us up, it's 11 o'clock at night, and we know we have to work early in the morning. <laughs> Along the way, we find this frog in a parking lot, it's like a, an abandoned gas station parking lot, and we decide that this frog is lost, and he's facing an existential crisis, so we pick him up, we, we give him a name, Fred, and... uh the whole time we're just trying to carry him for as long as we can to get back to uh, the river, and we're gonna release him. So this whole time we're talking to him, we're talking him out of his, talking him off the ledge, if you will, and kissing him, and then eventually we get back to this bridge. We've walked with this frog for you know an hour now. We've really gotten to know him. We get to this bridge. And we just release him off the bridge. And uh, he does a swan dive. And as he's falling, he smacks the lower beam and flips dead into the water. R.I.P. Fred. You taught us so much. So with that said, I want to share with you all a little tune that I wrote for Fred years ago. This is Only Just Right There. Please enjoy... And thanks for listening.
2: Fred, Fred, why are you so? this frost Fred, Fred why so far from home come on Fred you won't endure this cold so just come with us to the river source you can paddle on down to your own shores Oh, Fred, there's a home for frogs like you, and maybe you got lost cause there was simply nothing else to do, and I know that you're probably scared, but don't you worry, friend, you're the one friend of ours who is... Only just right there So if you want, you can walk with us On down to the bridge But this abandoned parking lot is no place for an amphibian And the trees shed their frozen thoughts And the winter's wind ties me in a knot. Fred, Fred, like a distant shore. Say goodbye, we won't see him anymore. And. Out comes the frost, as if thoughts escape We'll miss you, Fred, more than we can take But on you go, back to your home You taught us more, Fred, than you could ever know
0: If you enjoyed that track, please check out my SoundCloud it's Sloan's Mantle, that's Sloan's Mantle, S-L-O-A-N apostrophe S-M-A-N-T-E-L, where I have plenty of folk songs, all original, and most recently, I've gotten into more experimental stuff, radio cinema, scripted um, kind of radio art, and uh, experimental instrumental tracks composed with lyrics as well. So I'm just going to close out with uh, a few last words from Jack. Thanks for listening, folks. Well, Jack, uh, it's getting pretty late here, so I'm going to let you go. Go. But, man, I appreciate you coming on. Happy to have you.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what else to tell you other than, like, <laughs> yeah, I enjoy having a good time and I <laughs> enjoy talking to you, so I don't really give a shit at anything else. So. <laughs>